spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 99th annual Subliminal Deception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory. Bullshit, my name is Cody. I'm joined by my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Not doing too bad. I was, uh, so today, okay, I want everybody to keep in mind, literally last week we had a day that was, I believe, negative 20. Today, it was 41 degrees when I was coming home. Um, Oh, nice. Yeah, so uh, luckily I was able to get a car wash fucking finally. Uh, I've had that salt (laughs) eating away (laughs) on my goddamn car. For like two months now. Yeah, I um, I think it was probably about 77 coming home from work today. It was actually, sun was out. It was nice. I also need to get my car washed. It's been about probably three years since I've had my car washed. You haven't washed in three years. Here's what you got to understand. I just don't give a fuck about it. And I'm running it into the ground. And then I'm going to buy a, a new one. Well, or not a new car, but a new used car. Okay. All right. So. If I'm not even changing the oil in it, I'm not going to take it to get washed. You aren't even so. changing the oil in it. I think I had my oil changed maybe at the end of 2019. <laughs> so you literally are uh, trying to kill that bad boy. Well, every time I take it back to the mechanic, he wants me to get like, you know, the fucker aligned and he wants me to get a brand new, all of these seals and all of these, you know, the suspension. He wants me to get a new suspension and... Basically, new struts, new everything. So I'm just like, ugh, I'm not paying like almost three and a half grand for a four thousand dollar car. Yeah, to, you know, to fix it. So how many miles does that thing have on it? It has 176. I've had it for five years. It's had it. I think it has about 176. It's a rough estimate. I okay. bought it when it was probably 140, 135, maybe. Okay. Well, so in five years, I put about 40 on it. That's uh, very conservative, Phil. Yeah. Well, for a while there, I was only – I was living at like well, right next door to college. So I never used it when I was in college. So Gotcha. Yeah, with my uh, new commute to work, I'm putting on miles pretty rapidly. But uh, whatever, they're highway miles. Uh, Phil, so I hear a rumor you have a story you would like to tell. Oh, it's just a weird, a weird occurrence or a weird thing that happened yesterday. So I was, we were talking yesterday, typing back and forth about what time we were going to record today. And I was going to tell you what time I usually get home from work. So I was typing on my phone and I just basically like, I usually get home at about, and then when I, I looked up for the number four on the, like the number line on top of all the letters in the. Where it where you can like auto type in, you know, it has like the three selections. The number four was right in the middle there, and there was no <laughs> other numbers on the side of it. I'm, so I'm guessing I don't you've know. Said that I don't know if it's a phone times. that knows. Yeah, well, I think uh, they kind of have like a self learning thing where if you've typed in four, like I'll be home at four enough times, it'll just kind of like auto fill the rest of it out. 
I do think it might have something to do with how much we talk about Jeff Bezos and possibly uh, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. That slimy greenback, that reptilian <laughs> motherfucker might be onto us. I think that was, might be a message sent from him. Was that just a racial term, a racial slang against reptilians, Phil? Greenbacks? I, think, I do think that is the the proper term for reptilians. Okay. All right. I I discovered the other day there's literally an entire website dedicated to um racial slangs. Yikes. Wow. Okay. That's Yeah. yeah. It's That'll I, get you put on some some word to us. <laughs> well, what is it? Rule 41 or something? Oh, that it exists? it's like 36 or something like okay. that. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can tell you that that exists. Um so yeah, I guess if you're racist uh go ahead and look that up it's uh quite they're really stretched it, it's it'd be like kind of if urban dictionary converted itself into basically racial slurs only and they're just yeah. kind of like throwing everything on there like stuff that nobody in their right mind calls somebody it's yeah just or like, something that died out probably 200 years ago yeah it's just like it's really stupid it's did they really have? Stupid. I have to ask quick. Did they have anything for Frenchmen? Oh yeah, they had everything you could imagine on there. Jesus. Everything okay. you could imagine. Like they, they had, they'd have like a French section, then they'd have like a European section. Hmm. So and then they might have like a French Canadian section. So it like, man, it's it's like the the source of offensive uh, terms. That would be crazy if it did have a section in there for poor white people from Crusco, Iowa. <laughs> I don't know, but we should <laughs> we should try to get that in there. That's all I know. No, actually, we should submit like subliminal deception, extraterrestrial racial slurs. That's what that's what we need to get going on there. I, I don't I don't I don't want to tag our anything or brand in there. That wouldn't be any good. <laughs> well, I guess then the aliens are gonna come fuck us up. Well, no, getting your getting your name on a racist site like that wouldn't be very. <laughs> but we're just good. aliens. We're not. We don't want to be associated with the other ones. We're just aliens. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not not racial, not bad terms for humans. Just aliens. No, you, yeah. you'll hear the phrase that every racist person says. I'm not racist against humans. I'm just racist against aliens. Okay, big difference here. <laughs> xenophobic yeah there you i go. learned that one on star trek so watch <laughs> uh, tv kids all right you ready to uh get in this bad boy yeah let's head it okay so i don't even know what i want to call this i guess it morphed into a a fan request episode and mm. i needed more so now i'm just kind of doing like a um pre roswell pre roswell two ufo incidences so the first one we're going to be talking about is the one that our listener, Jen, had recommended that we look into because it's kind of, uh, apparently she knows this area and okay. had heard of this story, I think, growing up or something. Um, so, and it, it's honestly one of the most unique UFO stories I've ever heard in my life. Have you ever heard of Cape Girardeau? Have you ever heard of that in Missouri? No, I've never heard of that before. Okay, I'm guessing... They don't have a college football team there. Maybe they do. Probably not. Or functioning computers in their high schools. <laughs> well, if anybody... I'm sorry, Jen. That's, that's a little blow on Missouri. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like, obviously, you and I can see how this place is spelled 
and it doesn't look like it's pronounced at all. So I'm guessing it's like a, it has E-A-U at the end. So I'm assuming it's a French word, but I guess it's not really important to the uh, overall scope of this story. I will say that, so the entire, well, what they called like Louisiana Purchase, that entire area was inhabited first, well, you know, Native Americans, but it was explored first by Frenchmen. Like the first settlement in Iowa is Dubuque. So it's possible that this was discovered by a Frenchman, like a fur trapper, oh, or, you know, a trader right. going through there. Right. Depending I, on if it's like along like either the Missouri or the Mississippi River. Right. I mean, yeah, that's very possible. I, I guess I don't know. We just uh, the only thing we know about this place is the UFO event. Any of okay. the history? We <laughs> I have no fucking idea. Um, this. Well, once we get to the end of the story, maybe this is misidentified French trappers. I, I don't know. We'll we'll have to get there and uh, talk about it. Yeah, it's I mean, it's just a stupid little thing. I mean, in the Midwest, you'll see a lot of it's either an English name, a Spanish name, a French name or like Native American right. like, name so, right. for whatever. And all like a lot of those states are Native American names. So I was going to say Minnesota is chock full of Native American names like everywhere. Like the word Minnesota. Now. Yeah, there you go. The interesting thing about this particular UFO crash was that it does not start like most of the traditional ones, especially the ones you've heard on the show. That being when people see a huge ball of fire in the sky or lights or something like that. Like a um, like that's how it starts, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. th- this story comes from a single man who had been specifically called onto the scene to perform a very specific ceremony. And this is one of your favorite ceremonies. I can guarantee you that, oh, Phil. Is it butt stuff? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's called, he's been called on for butt stuff. For, for butt stuff. Get the butt stuff expert in here now. <laughs> <laughs> they know exactly who to call. Uh, yeah, call that one guy. He's going to be good with that. Hold on. Once I talk about this guy's name, we'll see if you still think he's into butt stuff. Okay. The other interesting aspect of this case is that it allegedly took place in the spring of 1941, six years before the world the world famous UFO crash in Roswell, New Mexico, which we have covered uh, quite a long time ago, actually, now, haven't we? Yes. Talked about it quite a few times. The gentleman this story is coming from is Reverend William Hoffman, who uh. had... <laughs> Is he into butt stuff? Definitely into butt stuff. <laughs> butt stuff, him doing butt stuff to other people, butt stuff happening to him. So <laughs> He just likes ass play. That's, that's all there is yeah. to it. Nothing wrong with it. No king shaming here. No, but. absolutely not. Uh, Hoffman had been a resident minister of the Red Star Baptist Church. That's I don't know why, but I feel like that's so such a like ominous church name. Is, is that just me? It sounds a little satanic. Like <laughs> if it was Morningstar Baptist Church, yeah, they definitely all wear robes and no, like no clothes underneath those robes. They got just fountains of adrenochrome. That's uh, that's what's going on there, uh, Phil. So is the is like the star that appeared above Jesus? Is that do they call that the red star? I don't. I've never heard that called the red star. Oh, yeah, I. I very strange. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, now, 
the whole story and the recollection of it makes a big point to prove that they have a lot of records that show that Reverend William Hoffman actually had been a minister at this church for many, many years. Now, you'll kind of see why that might be important. Uh, Additionally, the story comes from Reverend Hoffman telling his family after he had returned home for witnessing what he had seen. And that was again relayed to their granddaughter, Charlotte Mann, when Floyd Hoffman, Reverend's wife, told the granddaughter on her deathbed in 1984. So this is a little confusing. I'm going to, does it kind of make sense? Like, Reverend is on the scene, he comes yeah. home, tells his wife, they keep it a secret until basically his wife's dying. And then uh, she tells the granddaughter, and her granddaughter reveals this story to the public, essentially. Um, well, I mean, if he is a reverend, and he, like the reverend's wife, the reverend's kid, I can imagine him coming home and having to tell someone. But yeah. if they are the reverend family, the church, you know, the leaders of this church, they probably have to be like more well-to-do. So I can definitely see them keeping this to a themselves. Secret. Yeah, that's kind yeah. of that's kind of what I thought. And once we get to the the like end here, I think the military at this point kind of viewed that as well as like he's an honorable, trustworthy man and he's not gonna tell anybody about what he he witnessed here. As, especially if you are a reverend, it's kind of like how doctors take like an oath. Like the reverend, they kind of have to take an depending on whatever you know church. I'm not sure what the Baptists do, but I do know that if they take like confession or if they take last rite, something like that, they're not allowed to actually tell like say anything about it, like talk about it. So especially with confession. Well, I mean, clearly they can't talk about uh, aliens or butt stuff. So one of the yeah. two happened at this location, Phil. Okay. <laughs> the story begins when someone called Reverend Hoffman at around nine to 9.30 p.m. We aren't certain if this was the local police or the military or something along those lines, but he was requested to perform the last rites for three bodies at a crash site. They apparently informed him that this was a plane crash, okay? Mm-hmm. the inter- Like I said, the interesting thing I think about this whole scenario is that there doesn't seem to be any other witnesses besides him, kind of, and, like, the people on the scene. Like, nobody around the area saw lights or anything, or not that I could find anywhere. So that okay. is kind of interesting. Now, naturally, because he thought it was a goddamn plane crash, Reverend Hoffman agreed and was driven to the crash scene, which was about a 10 to 15-mile journey into the woods outside of the town Cape Girardeau. When he arrived, there were a huge number of policemen, members of the fire department, FBI agents, and photographers. So, at first glance, this just seems like a plane crash, uh, a bunch of, you know, rescue people around looking, you know what I'm saying? That would be someone's first impression upon coming onto the scene. But he soon realized that this was not an aircraft he had ever seen before. It was fairly large and saucer-shaped. The outside of it was metallic, and no seams could be seen on the exterior. Okay, have you... I feel like we've talked about the the no-seam thing before. 
Yeah. I mean, especially during this time, you like if you look back, um, think about like the P51 Mustang or like that was actually would have been really brand new technology even for this time. But planes back then were basically like panels riveted together Mm -hmm. and exposed rivets. You could see every single like large rivet. So you definitely an aircraft at that time, you would have seen like the rivets. You would have seen the seams and everything. This is, I think the interesting thing is if we're taking this guy at face value, um, you got to remember like UFO and like the term UFO kind of wasn't even like a thing. You know what I mean? Like technically, if this man's telling the truth, this would be the weirdest fucking thing he's ever seen in his life. It's interesting. Does the word, so I'm, you said the word saucer shaped. I wonder if he would have used that term. Because that was actually a like I'm I'm kind of blanking on when the man who was flying over I think it was the, like the Pacific Northwest and he claimed that he saw hey, guess those what, crafts Phil? like what was that I said guess what Phil that's the we're gonna talk about him he's the second story oh okay so no, I'll I'll shut up then <laughs> I'm just wondering if he actually looked at that that craft and thought of a saucer I, it's hard to say I don't really know. That, okay. This it's kind it's of just this, a thing in my brain. So that's, but but it's a good point because this is it's hard to know because this is technically third hand information. Um, because yes. it's coming from his granddaughter, so maybe she just that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, she just she had obviously in the 80s had heard of flying saucers by then, so maybe she was just implanting that to describe what what he seen. She said he said mm-hmm. kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Now, then the Reverend was taken inside of the craft itself where he was able to look upon all sorts of small metal chairs, weird gauges and dials and other things that he had never laid eyes on before. Perhaps the most interesting thing he witnessed was all around the inside of the craft. There were inscriptions and writing. The closest thing he could kind of compare this this to these these inscriptions was Egyptian hieroglyphics. So I okay, I know I've heard this before as far as like in the UFO thing. Like I, I'm sure you've heard of like stories people claim like uh, if they've touched a craft or touched an object like the the hieroglyphics get like burned into their head. Have you heard that before? Yes, I have. Um yeah. it was there was one that was in England, I believe we covered, where it was the man had seen the Egyptian looking hieroglyphics or the just basically like the pictographs. Yeah. And he had, I think it was binary code burned into his mm. his brain pretty mm-hmm. much. But yeah, it was um I mean, these are all pretty common tropes of flying saucer, you know, the alien craft, the all oh, the little dial well i mean the weird gauges the stuff i'm guessing like weird gauges dials i'm he's probably also trying to just equate those to what he knows right so it probably looked like nothing he'd ever seen before but he was just saying there were like gauges and dials and stuff just like you might see in a regular aircraft right probably you know probably what he's witnessing yeah what he's witnessing is probably something like he's never seen before Okay, now the story gets exceedingly weird uh, when he gets to finally see who he's going to perform the last rites on. Uh, Mm. Apparently, on the outside of the craft, lying on the ground, were three entities who were very clearly not human. 
two of them were laying close together uh, next to the craft craft itself, which seemed um, like they had died on impact. And the third one was laying a bit further out, almost like he had survived long enough to kind of, I guess, walk or crawl a little ways away from the craft, if that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah the the other peculiar thing was that those on the scene had mentioned seeing a ball of fire. It almost sounds like the Reverend kind of overheard people talking and mentioning this, and I'm going to assume that meant the craft itself. And the Reverend went on to say that there was fire around the craft itself. You know, it's very mm-hmm. clear that a crash caught on fire. But he mentioned that the bodies, it, none of the three bodies showed any signs of being burned, which seems interesting um, if they were in a craft that was on fire, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's you would expect if a regular plane crashed and the plane was on fire, the well, let me kind of rephrase that. It's almost like if the outside of the plane's on fire, the inside like cockpit, the the area where you're flying in is probably the last thing that's going to be engulfed in flames. Right. But the thing and is, then, if the gu- oh, I was going to say, and then usually, usually when it lands in the dirt, those uh, it's the fuel that's on fire. Normally, I'm tr- I'm trying to kind of it's kind of weird to explain, but like the dirt comes up and then like fuel will go everywhere. So you'll have like a oh. huge area of fire all around the plane. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm picking up what you're saying here. And also yeah. maybe like the uh, vegetation or whatever around it could have caught on fire as well. Um, yeah. What I'm trying to say is it, I don't know if it would be really weird if a, if the plane was engulfed in flames. If if you saw like a craft engulfed in flames and the bodies weren't necessarily burnt. It, but, it, it wouldn't surprise me because it's a closed cockpit. So, But you would think, okay, if his theory here is right the two died on impact one was still alive and made his way out of the craft on his own volition you think he might have gotten burned by leaving it or maybe the fire wasn't that big i guess he doesn't really go into detail about the size of the fire or anything like that i was just saying if it was an aircraft if it was like a like a if it was like an aircraft from the time you know filled with fossil fuels i'm saying that's how i would imagine it would if it even if it was a ball of fire when it hit the ground Okay. I don't know if like the people, but uh, yeah, for an alien craft, I have no idea. Yeah. You know, what what they got inside, what happens when a fire would start. So. Well, whatever. He, he it yeah. was just kind of a, a a note that he mentioned because I guess it would it would be kind of a weird thing if you something was on fire and then the bodies that were allegedly inside of that were not on fire or didn't show mm-hmm. any burns or any of that. But anyway. Now, apparently one of the people on the scene lifted one of the alien bodies up by its armpits. And this is when you could make out that they were roughly about four foot tall and seemed, according to the Reverend, to have no bone structure and their skin looked like very, very soft. Additionally, they also apparently had some sort of a suit on when the body shifted after he picked it up. It kind of crinkled like soft aluminum foil um he also noticed that the entities had very long hands with very long fingers and he he mentioned that he believes there were three fingers so they had only three fingers on each hand but they're really 
really long fingers. Now, is this traditionally what you've heard as a description of a gray alien? I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily a gray alien. Uh, the like the long hands and the long fingers that kind of goes along with what you think about, like with grays mm-hmm. and being four foot tall, like the shorter ones, the shorter grays, the like the worker bee ones. Um, okay. Do you okay? Do you see the pictures that I attached to our notes here? Yes. Yeah, I see it. Okay. Now, oh yeah, that looks like okay. Yeah, that looks like a gray alien. Now these pictures are allegedly were given to the reverend. After the entire incident, we're not, he's not done on the scene yet, but I just want Phil to see. Allegedly, this is kind of the guys holding up the alien right there. And apparently this other one is, I guess, the military colonel or something. I don't know if this old guy is supposed to be the reverend. But uh, but yeah, these are allegedly pictures that were taken from the crash scene itself. Definitely, we'll have to put these on Instagram, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Do they look too fake to you or is it just what do you think? Um, God, they I don't know. In that in the picture on the left, the dude in the middle facing the old guy, he kind of looks like an alien a little <laughs> bit himself. He's got odd bone structure. <laughs> but so the one on the right's the interesting one. It's the uh the the twins in the fucking the hats holding up a gray alien making him wave basically. Yeah. Yeah, I, I... I don't like know the cameras. Um, I mean, that one looks a little fake. Um, it's the weird. Here's the weird thing. So honestly, you think in a story, every story that we've ever heard, I don't know if you're going to get into this. Every story that we've ever heard, the military always takes over and gets everyone the fuck out. Yeah. They take the plane, they take the bodies, they get the fuck out, they clean up and then they intimidate any witnesses in this they're just kind of chilling, having local photographers. They bring a reverend in to do last rites on the aliens. So I'm guessing 1941 was before the Air Force was started and before, well, even before the United States got into World War II. So I'm guessing that some of their like standards and practices when it came to alien, you know, UFOs, flying saucers, aliens, whatnot, all of the projects that they would later, later have. I'm guessing those weren't established yet. Right. Well, actually, like Majestic 12 and that that stuff. Well, actually, we are about to talk about what the, the part that I just told you, the military has not showed up yet. Oh, so, gotcha. Yeah, they um, I would assume from the pictures, it sounds like they like them lifting up the alien happened before the military arrived. And maybe the second picture, the first picture there is um, after they arrive. Like yeah, the those uh, the two dudes holding up the aliens do not look like they're military. No, like, it's yeah. Well, he he claimed there was uh, fire department cops. I mean, those could be detectives or investigators at the time. And he said there's FBI agents as well. So I don't really know. Um, but uh, but yeah, let me let me finish the story here, and we'll talk about okay. what happens in yeah. the military. So. He kind of looks at the body. Reverend Hoffman then performs the last rites on all three of the entities. And that's when, after that, the military shows up. After the military surrounded the area, they broke people into different little groups and made sure they talked to every single person there. Reverend Hoffman apparently was told by the military, this didn't happen. You didn't see any of this. This is national security. It is never to be talked about 
again. Now, as we kind of uh, mentioned earlier, because he was a reverend and was deemed to be an honorable man, the military wasn't really too worried about him disobeying their orders. But the story goes that the reverend went home and he was just kind of in shock. I mean, obviously, I think anybody would if this really happened. Then he told his wife and his two sons, and they all kind of kept it secret, although there was like, you know when a family has like a funny story, but they don't really want to tell everybody, and you'll hear like little snippets of it throughout your whole life. I think that's kind of what happened with the granddaughter. Yeah, we kind of have stories like that where we just kind of like, somebody will tell a story of from their little deal. And like me and my brothers and sisters will just kind of like laugh at each, like look at each other and laugh. Like we're thinking about the same story. Yeah. You know, that happened to our family. We never, like, we don't tell the, you tell the story, but it's just something funny that happened. It's like a, you had to be there or you have to be in the, in the, <laughs> in you the know, moment. the group. Yeah. 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 Well, it, it sounded like their family, like the alien story was kind of <laughs> their thing. Like you, yeah. like you'd hear snippets of it, but you didn't really know the full story. So I'm, he kind of, yeah. I'm trying to think too about like a man, 1941, a reverend living in bumfuck. I'm sorry for Missouri, but living in <laughs> bumfuck Missouri, which I assume it's bumfuck, living in Missouri at this time. What was the most interesting thing that's happened to this man before that night? I mean, uh, maybe fucking his wife the first time. Yeah, that maybe. was probably. That was probably it. Like, that was probably <laughs> the thing that became second most crazy thing that's ever happened. Well, clearly, dude. according to you, it was when he did butt stuff. Well, I mean, who knows about the butt <laughs> stuff? I thought he was a Catholic, so that's why the butt stuff came in. No, he's but, Baptist. You know, Baptists are allowed a, to do butt stuff. He's allowed to do anything he wants with his wife. So, you know, as long as she consents, of course. But, yeah, he <laughs> he's allowed to have a wife, and, you know, it's, it's not just a, a cover for their priests. Right. But... Yeah, I mean, really, this would be for back then, too, I'm thinking with a lot of these alien stories, we always hear about the people, the witnesses, they say when the military, like which was representing the government, when the basically when the government tells you to do something like back then you did it because like they were the government, they were top dogs, you, you know, we're we're fighting the fucking the Germans and the Italians and the Japanese right now. You know, we got communists in every fuck under every rock. So we need to like trust the government, especially that was after Roswell. Right. Well, so, then they were gearing up for a war here too, 1941. Well, the interesting thing is, and I think everybody's pretty aware of this, that UFO sightings like during World War II, there was so fucking, there's like a lot of them that were reported. Um, mm-hmm. Almost like, I think we've talked about it before. Maybe they're like spectating or keeping a close eye on what humans were doing at the time. Or I... I don't yeah. know. Uh, so, and like you said, the military and how it, if the military is actively covering up things like this, if this was one of the first incidences that ever happened, they probably wouldn't really know what to do outside of like hide, try to hide it, I guess, and not uh, kill anybody right away or anything like that. Yeah. Well, like I was saying before, probably a lot of their standards and practices on what they would do in the future hadn't even been invented yet. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of funny. Like, it's weird that the FBI, I don't know how close this is to like maybe a home office. Like if it's like St. Louis, Kansas City, like a larger city in the area that would have like an office. It's interesting that the FBI got there before the the military did. 
even though the FBI weren't even really that old at the time. They were maybe only like 20 years old at the time. Well, I mean, here's the thing, though. Who who knows if the FBI were really there? Maybe they were just detectives he thought were the FBI. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, it's hard to say because it's his granddaughter telling this story. So it's like third hand. Yeah, we really don't know the dynamics of it, but I find, I don't know why I find this particular story so fascinating this is like one of the most interesting ufo or alien stories i think we've ever covered on this show if you're being on if i'm being honest yeah it's also interesting like we've obviously what we've seen a lot of crappy and to good like alien documentaries alien pictures like from you know all that we for years and years we've been fucking watching this shit i have never seen that picture like in my life this is the first time which is weird because usually you just keep seeing the same pictures. I've yeah. never seen that picture before in my life. That's kind of crazy. <sighs> yeah, it's I don't know. And if what's really weird is a lot of these sites that like cover this are kind of like buried on Google um, mm. too. I don't know if that's just because not a lot of people know about it. But uh, but yeah, I I don't know. The story with the pictures goes. I didn't really include it in here, but essentially. There was a lot of photographers on the scene taking pictures, and obviously they were warned by the military, hey, don't, uh, you know, talk about this or whatever. And the one guy who took these pictures was so terrified of holding on to him because he had duplicates that he gave or ended up giving the reverend these two pictures here that he then like buried in his some place in his house. And then the granddaughter took them. After, you know, uh, the grandma was dead and all that. So, yeah. Uh, and then she released them and told the story. And uh, so, yeah, you can watch. I th- I think there's I didn't watch the video, but I think there's a video of her on a talk show t- telling all about this and stuff. So kind of interesting. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's just weird because if she released the that picture 37 years ago, you think we would have seen it by now. That's yeah, just, I, I, it's I just know. it's it's just kind of weird. Yeah, I know. I don't. I don't know. So what? Let's oh. uh, let's get your opinion. Do you think on one to ten, one being bullshit, ten being compelling? Where do you put this here? I mean, honestly, it's. I would say, God, I'm gonna give it a six. Normally, I would say five for fifty-fifty. Yeah. Go with my man Neil deGrasse Tyson, but I'm gonna go a little bit more compelling, just because the picture. And kind of like just how the story, basically, it's how a small town you would think would react to an alien saucer or, you know, something weird falling out of the sky. They would have the cops there. They would have the fire department. Anyone with a anyone with a camera would show up. And then these small, you know, country, you know, country folk, of course, see dead bodies. And they're like, oh, we got to call the the local reverend to get him out here and do the, do the Christian (laughs) thing. I think that happened too in Texas where there was like an eight, like maybe early 1900s or late 1800s um, spacecraft. I believe that the town actually, the story goes, the town buried the alien and even gave it last rites too. Yeah. Cause that was like the Christian thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean for 1941, well, this is 1941 obviously, but like that, this just what people did. Like, <laughs> you yeah. see, it, it could be a fucking Satanist, and they'd be like, "We need to read this guy's last rites." 
even though he has a little like the ring on that says he's a like, <laughs> church of Satan. They're going to give him a Christian burial. Well, just, like just just so everyone knows those wills don't mean shit. They read them after the fucking funeral. I so. love I love how if, if they saw three dead, clearly not human alien things and they're like, man, we got to make well, sure they get into heaven. You got to imagine, though, in their minds, every every everything's a child of fucking God. True, so, true, know. very true. But uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Jen, for that. I that is a fascinating story. My God, I I really like that one. But uh, all right, you ready for story number two here, Phil? Yes, I am. All right. Now the gentleman you were uh, trying to remember was Kenneth Arnold. That uh, is yes, the yep. guy there. Uh, most generic, bland name ever, but uh, I did The whitest it. name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kenneth Arnold. <laughs> now, Kenneth Arnold was effectively the man who had coined the term UFO, or I guess flying saucer. And again, this incident happened just prior. This one is like literally just prior to Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, hmm. Kenneth Arnold was the owner of an automatic firefighting system company and a licensed pilot who lived in Boise, Idaho. Now, I'm assuming an automatic firefighting system is a sprinkler, right? Well, an automatic firefighting system company. did Was it one of those planes that like collected water and then put out like a forest fire? Because that's kind of what I thought when you were saying that he was a pilot and with this company uh that i mean that could be i took it as he owned like a automatic sprinkler system yeah and then he yeah. was just like one of those dudes who's like ah oh, i just have a flying license oh, okay gotcha so like he's okay. so rich well it is the can... 40s so i don't know if even that technology would have existed back then they could barely get people in the air let alone <laughs> thousands of gallons of water so that probably makes more sense it kind it kind of sounds like he's a uh what do they call a philanthropist is that uh just like a rich guy with rich hobbies, I guess. Well, a, philanth- a philanthropist is someone who's got a lot of money who likes to give it away to good causes. Ah, okay. No, he, I think he just, I don't know. He just has his own plane. That's all I know. I imagine a plane in 1947 is quite expensive. Oh, yeah. A, one that wasn't made out of fucking cork wood and string yeah <laughs> well, that would be getting up there a little bit i mean planes back then were made out of metal obviously yeah. but you know what i'm talking about right <laughs> for people privately owning their own plane like imagine like the crop dusters back then you know from basically refab like world war one fighters that right, yeah. spray yeah you know poison on plants so hey look it's the original eco-friendly rifle right, <laughs> exactly renew, agent orange <laughs> renew reuse recycle right yep. there um so yeah on june 24th 1947 kenneth was flying from chahalas washington to yakima washington for a business trip in his call air a2 plane now you can kind of see from the uh picture what it kind of looks like just kind of a i don't know a basic personal plane i guess i don't know was that what you'd call that yeah, it kind of looks like the plane that Amelia Earhart would have used to spy on the Japanese. 
I love so, the I love the little training wheels. Yeah, the the little the the wheel, just the little wheel on the back, just for you know, it's it's basically it looks like it's just held on by like a weak little rod. Yeah, I don't know there. if I would trust that when you're coming in for a landing, but <laughs> apparently Kenneth was just fine in his little badass plane. Doesn't say the color. I imagine I don't know. Maybe they're only red, like all of them in the picture, but uh, doesn't say the color. Anyway. Yeah. Now, Kenneth must have figured uh, he had a little extra time on his hands for a detour, so he decided he may as well try to collect some reward money. Reward money for what, you ask? Well, the U.S. Marine Corps was offering, I've heard mixed reports here, $5,000 or $10,000 in reward money to anyone who could locate their C-46 transport airplane that had crashed near Mount Rainier. So how the fuck do they lose this thing, by the way? Like, how does it just go missing? Well, it was about 20 years before Vietnam. Mm. So I'm guessing they weren't shipping any heroin. Gotcha. Um, Yeah. I don't know what drugs this C-46 transport (laughs) might have been, you know, flying out in 19... 47 but yeah i don't know um there is there's some uh there's some well 1947 may have been the air force there's some air force bases in that region uh there's one in like between tacoma and seattle so who knows it's just like you think they would at least have like a general idea where this thing crashed at yeah well i mean back then you gotta kind of think they had radar, but it wasn't as good as it is today. Right. Um, they probably would have really just kind of taken like the last radio transmission where they were giving their location and just done like a, well, they could have crashed in any of these areas, like a big circle. Yeah. So. Well, uh, I mean, that was pretty generous of them. And I suppose a man with like Kenneth is like, hey, if I find it, I just get a quick 10 grand, which for 1947 Five or ten grand is a lot of fucking money. Yeah, you could probably buy a house or like four cars with that <laughs> in 1947. You could, buy, you could damn near buy the state of Idaho. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, at least the city of Boise. <laughs> you hear about the soldiers coming back from World War II using their VA loans. And the the houses that they were purchasing at the time were only like ten to $20,000 houses. So... Yeah, they can like, buy shit, shit was pretty though. cheap back then. Yeah, inflation's gotten a bit out of control, hasn't it? Oh yeah, it's it's that fucking scale's going upwards too. <laughs> just go to just go to the fucking grocery store and see what shit costs now compared to this time last year. I mean, it'd be fine if they increased uh, people's wages along with it, but uh, it doesn't work that way nope. in America. Nope, that's the last thing to go up. <laughs> Thanks, Biden. <laughs> At around three p.m. that same day. Kenneth had just about given up hope, given up hope on locating the downed aircraft and began to head in the direction of his initial initial destination, Yakima. This is when a whole bunch of bright flashes caught his eye. And even though this particular region generally has cloudy skies and such, today was an abnormally clear day, according to Kenneth. Seeing that the word UFOs or aliens wasn't tossed around as loosely as it is today, Kenneth just assumed initially that these were geese, but they seemed to be reflecting a bit too much light to be a flock of geese. 
Kenneth went on to describe it as, quote, as if someone had started an arc light in front of my eyes. So you can about imagine this has to be a very smooth, very metallic surface that's reflecting light like that. Yes. So it wouldn't have just been your your standard Northwest Coast hipsters. No. Couldn't have, couldn't have been them. Okay, I, just I, making sure. I mean, I've heard if you get enough of them and they have their freshly waxed beards, it can reflect yes. light. Like it can literally start fires like a magnifying glass. But I don't know if they would be this high up in the air. Yeah, unless they had just freshly gentrified like an area of the forest or something <laughs> like that. Taken over. Just perhaps Blue Ribbon Factories popping up there. Um, yep. Actually, they probably, they probably kill to live in this area because I would imagine Paps was like the new beer on the streets right now. Oh, yeah. And I'm guessing you could probably, back in, what, 1947, you could probably grow an entire field of marijuana <laughs> without anyone thinking the wiser. You just... Yeah, whatever. Well, they didn't it just call, grows out here. They didn't call it that. They called it the reefer. The reefer or cannabis. <laughs> yeah. Now, Kenneth would claim that at the time, the objects were about 25 to 30 miles away from his location, flying at an altitude of 10,000 feet, but they appeared to be moving at an incredibly high rate of speed. Kenneth claims the objects were moving in a very long, concise chain. As they move closer to Mount Rainier itself, they quit reflecting so much light, and he could make out their dark shapes with the snow-covered mountains in the background. So, essentially, the white helped kind of bring the shape of them into focus, because uh, I'm assuming the sun was out of the way at this point, but I... I thought initially, like a long time ago, he had mentioned how many objects there were, but in everything I was reading, he doesn't really go on to say how many of them are going in a line, just that they're kind of like, they're very thin and very flat, and he describes some of them as having a convex shape, and one of the ships had a crescent shape. And according to him, when he was watching them, he described their movements as like a rock skipping across the water. So when you hear that, how do you, in your head, how do you envision that moving, the ship's moving? Like, I feel like that sounds like a little bounce almost, doesn't it? It's kind of like what you see with the videos that, like the supposed UFO videos that you see now. They're never like quite moving in like a straight line. They're always kind of like moving up and down a little bit. Right. Kind of, kind of like it's, like zigzagging up and down, almost like it's so fast they you can't really like you can't keep your eye on it kind of when you're like looking at it. But yeah, I can kind of see what he means. Um, not really the convex shapes, not really what we think of when we like think of flying saucers, but almost more like if you think about like sci-fi movies. That's kind of what it sounds like. Yeah. With the like the crescent shapes. Well, he 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 almost made it sound. Now, this is where it's confusing, like, the leader of them almost was a crescent shape, and then all the rest of them were, I guess, the convex shape or the more traditional shapes of a a generic UFO, I guess. Oh, okay, gotcha. So almost like, have you ever heard of, like, a crescent-shaped ship before? A crescent-shaped ship. I mean, I have, 
mostly like I was saying, like sci-fi movies, like yeah. Star Trek and stuff like that. You'll see them on that, but not really anyone describing what like their experience, like seeing a UFO. You'll never really hear about a convent, like a a, uh, a crescent-shaped ship. I, here's the other thing: if he is in his plane and they're this high up, and the objects are about twenty to th- or twenty-five to thirty miles away from him, I imagine he he can see them, but he probably can't see them like increasingly well. Yeah, well, it said you did say that as they move closer. Oh, as they move closer to Mount Rainier itself. Oh, okay, yeah. so they move like quite as close to him. Yeah, they were um, in, in my the... mind. In my mind, he was like flying right above them. I think I've no. seen like artist renditions before, and he was flying right above them, and that's how he saw their shapes and their formations. Yeah, I don't know. The things I was reading from him is they were almost how can I describe it? Like they were going north and south, and he was going east and west. And okay, he he initially saw them in the open, and the sun was reflecting light off of them. And as they continue to go, they kind of got in in the way he was looking so that they were just in front of Mount Rainier where it was covered in snow. And then you could see their objects better as like dark little shapes because the sun wasn't reflecting light off of them. Okay, gotcha. Kind so of, he was almost like on an intercept path with them. Yes, yes. Because his destination from the map that they had was saying going from e- or going from east to west, and these things were moving, traveling north to south almost, between two different mountains. Like It almost seemed like they were leaving Mount Rainier, heading for another mountain, I believe. It's kind of what it okay. Or maybe it was the other way around. But either way, the, they were moving in opposite directions as him. The skiing wasn't as good on the other mountain <laughs> as it would have been on Rainier, so that's why, of course, they, they couldn't, were They couldn't handle there. that black diamond. Yeah, they had to they had to go back to the bunny hill to pick up lessons. They're they're fucking bones. They have no bones, so if they fall over once, they're just done for that day. And all the chicks are at Mount Rainier. Everybody knows yeah, that. Definitely. <laughs> now this is interesting because Kenneth claimed he would use a distant DC four airplane in relation to these crafts to estimate their size. Now I'm interpreting this as. This is really hard to explain, but he kind of like looked out the side of his window and in the very, 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 very far distance, he could see a DC-4 airplane and then kind of measured how big that thing looked and how big they looked to kind of get an estimate of how big these little ships were. Does that make sense? Oh, well, kind of how I read that was he was thinking of what a DC-4 would look like in the distance. Oh, that could be. That could be. And I I thought he meant... In like the very far distance, there was one flying as well. And oh, okay, he, yeah, he, I have no idea about that. He used his plane to kind of look at him or look at it sideways. Or he was traveling, looked out, to say like his left or right out of the window, and then mm. kind of measured it that way. That's kind of how I took it, but uh, I could be could be wrong. It's I mean, even that would be exceedingly hard to get an estimate, like an accurate estimate of how big they are. But uh, yeah, but yeah, I think I think the um, those like the DC four, I think that's what if you actually like commercial flew on an airplane at that time, I think you were flying like the DC four. I know I've heard of that plane before. Okay, I think it's the I think it's kind of like the iconic one at the from the time you would see like movie stars like flying in them. It like the only people who had obviously had a lot of money 
and were kind of important at the time flew in airplanes. So, so would they it's be kind a- of like that iconic look, I think, though, of the, the twin propeller engines on the, the plane. So would it would it be about the size of like a private jet right now or like today? Oh, I I imagine it would be jeez. Maybe maybe a little bigger than like a Learjet. Okay. But okay. Yeah. It wasn't very big. I mean, probably the puddle hopper that you take from Minneapolis to Rochester, the thing that's all rickety and feels like it's going to break up <laughs> underneath you, it's probably about that size. Oh, okay. That, that shitty little plane. That, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Kenneth apparently enlisted the help of a United Airlines crew member who about 10 days days after Kenneth had seen the weird flying ships, he had seen similar things. And when they worked together, they speculated that the ship size was about 100 feet in length. Okay, And both of them figured they it was probably moving in a conservative guess at about 1200 miles per hour which is nearly twice the twice as fast as the speed of sound. And the other interesting thing is for the date that they witnessed it, the first Air Force pilot wouldn't break the sound barrier until that October, nearly four months after Kenneth's sighting. So it would be really hard to believe this could be some sort of a military plane or planes that Kenneth saw. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, uh, I, I know what you mean. It's, yeah. I mean, the trying to think about 1200 miles per hour. Yeah. That, um, back in 1947, maybe like a secret aircraft. I mean, obviously they were, they were trying to break the sound barrier, but with all of that new German technology, they had gotten in two years earlier, who knows how much, I mean, they basically got like the, all of the. They got a lot of technology from England at the start of the war, and they got all of that technology from Germany at the end of the war, like jet aircraft. Mm. So, so it could be possibly um, some sort of secret craft. I mean, it could be a secret American craft. Right. And if you really think about it, that area, there's some pretty lonely sky out in that whole like Pacific Northwest. Just ask Bigfoot. You know, there's not <laughs> a lot of people that live out there. So it's perfect place to test military aircraft especially i mean whenever they opened uh area 51 or for their initial like testing area i don't know if they really had because you always hear about them sending everything like weird like oh they sent it straight to right pat right patterson air force base that's like back in the 40s that's where you would hear them sending like the weird shit to so who knows if they had like the the top secret testing areas out in the Nevada like desert. Mm-hmm. So maybe they were testing shit out here. Very well could be. Um so overall Kenneth from when he this is what he claims from when he first witnessed the objects until they got out of his line of sight and he couldn't see him anymore, it had been about 1 minute and 42 seconds. Now um I, th- I if I remember correctly he says they were moving so fast they got over 50 miles away from him and then he just couldn't see him anymore. So that's mm. how fast they were kind of going that he he was about to see him for about two minutes and then they were just gone. And he just, just vanished, just couldn't see. They were out of sight. Um, interestingly, when Kenneth landed in Yakima at around 4 p.m., 
he would tell his friend Al Baxter, who was the airport's general manager, what he had seen. Now, Kenneth at the time just assumed that he had witnessed some sort of new experimental military a- aircraft, not having the slightest inclination that that could have been aliens initially, which I would imagine you wouldn't when Roswell hadn't happened and all that. Like, people generally weren't thinking that's what it was, right? No, it, it really hadn't reached, like, pop culture yeah. in a in a big way. Like, it would, like, I think 20 to 30 years in the future when it was all about aliens during what was, like, the, the 60s and 70s. Right. Now... What followed Kenneth after telling his story, he could have never predicted, and he, he's very adamant that he hates it. He did not like the attention he was getting. It was three mm. d- three days later, after word had spread like wildfire, that Kenneth would do an interview with the Spokane Daily Chronicle. They ran a uh, their headline titled, More Stargazers Tell About Seeing the Flying Pie pans. Uh, in it was in said article that Kenneth went on to describe the objects he had witnessed as flat, like a pie pan or saucer shaped. So that's kind of right there. That's kind of how the whole thing got started, basically just from that news article mm. right there, um, which kind of interesting. <laughs> from my favorite movie or my favorite trilogy, I should say, Frisbee. Far out. <laughs> you know what movie I'm talking about? No. That's ah, all right. Back to the Future <laughs> 3. Ah, yeah, I haven't watched yeah. that one. I've only seen the first two. Yeah, it's a great documentary. You should yeah, watch okay. it. Okay, yeah, isn't great it about the Wild West? It's about the Wild West, right? Yeah, the last uh, the last <laughs> installment is about the Wild West, in fact. Hell yeah. yeah. Now, Kenneth would eventually file his account with the uh, Army Air Force Intelligence, who apparently didn't laugh or scoff at what he had witnessed uh, and instead believed he had witnessed a series of guided missiles. Now, the interesting thing about this is there was another quote from another military officer that claimed that some of the missiles, the guided missiles at the time, according to him, moved at 3,500 miles per hour. So he wouldn't have been able to witness them or look at them as long as he had. Um... Had you hmm. heard that missiles move that fast during this time? I mean, they would have been trying to think. They would have been really in the experimental phase, like considering they just got all those Germans, you know, yeah. over with all the rocket technology. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Vandenberg Air Force Base was actually at the time. Vandenberg's in uh, California. I don't know if they would have maybe fired them out of Vandenberg. That's where a lot of the Air Force uh, rockets are flown out, you know. Um, get shot out from so but maybe maybe like rocket like rocket tests at that time i don't know it's it's kind of interesting i missiles at the time like rockets would they have just like fired them willy-nilly just across the you know the forest like that though this is a thing to me it sounds like just your generic like um air generic military response to something weird in the sky especially like both let's take both of these events this one could definitely be put into the category as they probably don't know what the how to handle it yeah i wonder too how much like you said it was filed with the army air force intelligence i wonder because you hear a lot about foo fighters during world war ii yeah i wonder how many stories about foo fighters they had heard and yes obviously i don't know 
who knows like with who he gave it to how much experience they had with that but i wonder if that was basically the the same thing that they were telling the army air force pilots back in you know world war ii were they giving them also like some story is this where they kind of got it from like oh no don't worry it's just a that's uh that's what the nazis are using these days they're using these weird guided missiles the v2s are guided now or whatnot that's why they're doing all these crazy maneuvers (sighs) yeah i don't know i i don't know it is i mean it's it's just thinking about like intelligence officers back then spinning this, you know, like oh, you were saying, yeah. like it's a story for guided missiles. Yeah. I wonder if the army intelligence was just used to spinning this shit, you know, <laughs> they hadn't had the weather balloon excuse quite yet. No, yeah, <laughs> exactly. They, that wouldn't come up for another couple months. So, yeah. But anyway, now, as mentioned, Kenneth didn't enjoy the limelight from his story like at all. And he mm-hmm. would recall two particular uh, events that really bothered him. The first was when a preacher from Texas informed him that what he had witnessed was harbingers of doom. That was his exact quote. So this Mr. Preacher here thought, I guess these UFOs were bringing on the apocalypse. I don't know. He apparently, Kenneth, wasn't too fond of that. This is uh, another one here. Kenneth was eating at a Pendleton cafe and a woman noticed him and ran out the door screaming and said, there's the man who saw the men from Mars. Oh, fuck. She was apparently (laughs) bawling and crying and all that. Oh, God. This is a quote from Kenneth. That's pretty good here. The whole thing has gotten out of hand. I want to talk to the FBI or someone. Half the people look at me as a combination of Einstein, Flash Gordon, and a screwball. I wonder what my wife back in Idaho thinks. So there you go. <laughs> Poor Kenneth. His life is, I don't know. I mean, I guess we got to thank him because he has brought around the term UFO or I guess flying saucer more or less. But, uh, but yeah, what do you what do you think about Kenneth? Do you think that he's a reliable source? I think I the, mean it. Go ahead. Here's a, here's my first thought with what he was saying, how he hated the attention that it kind of garnered him. It really doesn't seem like he's the kind of person who, because of how much he hates the attention, he might also be just like the deep fake saying that even though he really likes it. Yeah. Just to, just to seem more credible, but you do really seem more credible when you talk about how you hate, you know, hate the, the attention that it gives you. Cause you do see a lot of these UFO people, the people who claim to see UFOs. And if they see someone just randomly with a fucking camera, they'll get in front of it at these conventions and start talking about their UFO experiences because they want to get, you know, they want to get found and noticed for their stories, even though they're probably total bullshit. Well, what I was, so I mean, it is good credibility for him that he doesn't like the attention. Well, what I was going to say is it's, it's really interesting with these two stories in particular, because they're not in the era necessarily where they have something to gain by mm. telling the UFO story. Like, can the the word flying saucer didn't even exist, right? So what yeah. would he have to gain by calling it a fucking flying pie pan or a flying saucer or whatever? Like, there's nothing really for him to gain from it. That's That's kind of how I look. Like, obviously Roswell happened and then any incident from then, you know, people could uh, kind of get something out of it. But this was was kind of a the very beginning of it. So it, it, I don't know. That's where it's kind of interesting to me. 
and like the guided missiles thing, I I mean, maybe, but I don't think he'd be able to look at him for an hour, or I'm sorry, a minute and 42 seconds if they're missiles. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of one of those things where if he had actually made up all these stories and he would have kind of thrown himself more out, like made himself even more available to like newspapers and gotten on, you know, back then it would have been the fucking radio or whatnot. He'd have gotten himself on fucking like all of the radio shows and, you know, people would have talked about what he saw. And it was a lot of the newspapers and all of the, all of the media who were kind of reporting on this, who made up those terms. So I believe it was a newspaper that made up flying. I might be wrong. I believe it was a newspaper though, that made up the term flying saucer. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Well, I think that's a point of contention, whether it was Kenneth, who described it that way, or if that Spokane newspaper printed it that way. Um, it kind of seemed like that's how Kenneth described it, and then they said flying saucer. So I don't yeah. know. Or he might have called it a flying pie pan. Then they called it a flying saucer. Either way. You gotta you gotta remember too, the media, like the newspaper media back then was fucking cutthroat. Yeah. Like that yellow journalism. Yeah. Once it left your mouth whatever the writers and the editor decided actually <laughs> came out of your mouth was what got printed. True. And then two weeks later, their attraction was on page fucking 37 below true. the fucking, the personal ads. Very so. true. Well, film, I need to know one to 10. What are you giving it on this one? Ah, uh, Jesus. I mean, these are both really good ones because they're before the age of the bullshit UFO story. So, I mean, after Roswell is the, after the, when the birth of the, bullshit ufo kind of starts so these are both pre that time period so i have to give them above a five i'll actually give this one a seven just because i've heard it before and i kind of like it yeah. um i mean the i like the actual story not kind of what the media hyped it up to be because obviously you were saying that the guy um kenneth arnold claimed that the that the crafts were 25 to 30 miles away. But the artist's rendition makes it seem like he was flying right above a formation of crescent-shaped UFOs. Okay. That's what I remember from the like all of the pictures that I've seen. But I, I really do like this story. And a lot of it is just because he hate like he hated the the attention that it garnered him. So I mean, yeah, if you remember, think about all the times we've talked about mental illness in the 50s right and yeah. you'd be you'd be institutionalized oh. like technically this guy could have been <laughs> put in a nut house like for easily this. yeah easily so. like you have to once you once you tell a story like this you have to mind your fucking p's and q's because they don't even have to get your wife to put you in a place they can honestly just grab you off the street and in front of in front of witnesses, and it'll be like, oh, he must be a fucking nutcase if the fucking men dragged him off in the you know the white coats. So honestly, though, uh, in in relation to like these two stories, there's quite a few. Uh, I would say like in between World War One and World War Two UFO events that happen like that are reported. So maybe we'll have to come back and cover these. But uh, obviously, we've got the big one hundred next week which is which is really awesome i see a lot of people we're getting some new people in on our patreon they're enjoying our our off the record series where phil and i just kind of bullshit uh if you're interested in joining our patreon it's really simple just go to patreon.com 
forward slash subliminal deception. If you can't find it there, you simply go to subliminaldeception.com and there's a direct link that will take you right to the page. I think you can join and watch all, what are we at, 10 videos now for only $2 a month. Cheap. It's, it's, that's what, 10 hours of content right there. So thank you so much to everybody who's taken the time and did, done that and supported the show. We appreciate it more than you know. Now, unfortunately, Kenneth Arnold has passed away, but if anybody wants to contact us about their grandparents' UFO story, where can they do that? Well, they can hit us up on our new website, www.subliminaldeception.com. Uh, there you can, like Cody was saying, you can find the link for our Patreon. Want to thank our newest Patreon, actually, Bailey. Uh, she jumped on board with oh, the yeah. $2 a month. So thank you very much, Bailey. Uh, you can also get a hold of us the old-fashioned way, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, love hearing from you guys. You know, it's always great. Uh, had some really good ideas for episodes come up in the past couple of months so thanks for those uh probably the easiest way to get a hold of us is on our instagram subliminal deception podcast on ig uh, cody and i both check that really often and love hearing from you guys thanks for all of the likes and the comments from our last few posts uh cody and i also have our own instagrams mine is sdpodphil cody you got one yeah, you can follow my personal Instagram at Cody Zabub. Look at my memes, my conspiracy memes. Uh, the other thing we need you guys to do, if you could, log on iTunes. Leave the show a five-star review. doesn't really matter what you say. Say, I like fr- flying pie pans. I wish we, they were called that. If you're a Spotify user, it's really easy. You just hit that follow button. It's apparently the same as an iTunes review, and it helps boost us up, up the charts and get more exposure, which will ultimately lead to the men in black visiting us and shutting us down. So thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>